So good to see you guys. Love you and just week by week, so happy to be able to gather with you in this place and worship the Lord together and look to His Word. And so, as you all know, uh, well, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself here. One announcement I'd like to make, our men's prayer group that has been happening on Zoom, Jim Haug has been leading that. Uh, we are officially moving to the church. So, so men, if you uh, desire to come and pray with other men, and we would love for you to do so, that will be here at the church Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. So feel free to just come on out. The church will be open. You come on in, and, uh, and we will be up here for you. So, And then also the, the Monday night Men of the Word, uh, Matt Scott leads that. That is 7 o'clock on Monday night. So men, please come out and be a part of that. All right. Well, praise the Lord. We have been working our way through this series, what we're calling the uh, the the vital signs of Calvary Napa. <clears throat> and so far, we talked about <clears throat> called people follow. And then last week, we talked about people serving, saved people serve. And today, we're going to talk about forgiven people give. Forgiven people give. And so let me just say this, you know, we're talking about finances, giving to the Lord, and this can be uh, an awkward or challenging thing to talk about. Honestly, it shouldn't be, but it is, because unfortunately there's no shortage of charlatans out there. You can find them on the internet that are dancing on piles of money in front of the church and doing those kinds of things, and it, it makes it hard for the rest of us to deal with something that is truly a, a biblical issue. The issue of generosity and, and supporting the work of the Lord and the local church. And it's something that is very important. And frankly, you have very different spectrums. You have people who, who uh, that's all that they ever talk about. And they are there to fleece the flock. They're not there to feed the flock. They're there to get what they can get. Then you have people who go all the way to the other extreme and never talk about it. They ignore the issue Altogether, and then when it does come up, they practically apologize for it. And honestly, I, I kind of feel like that's that's where I have been more times than not on the issue over the years. It's just something that I never really like to talk about, and might get uncomfortable if I do. And so that's that's not good leadership. That's that's not leading well because I want to declare to you guys the whole counsel of God's word, and and giving to the work of the Lord is a big part of that. And so this is something that I've talked about on a few occasions uh, in my time here, even before I was a senior pastor when we taught through 2 Corinthians. It was something that I, I got to uh, teach on then when I was on a rotation with Pastor Bill and something that I've talked about maybe once or twice since. But guys, I want to lead well in this area. I want us to understand that generosity is just a marker of a Christian and it is something that the church needs. We have to be generous for the church to thrive the way that it should. And I'm so grateful for the generosity of the people at our church. We have, we have very generous people here. I, I just want to say that and I want to say thank you uh, for, for the people that have given graciously and consistently over the years because you believe in what's happening here and you understand the, the importance of it. And I also realize that right now is a very awkward time to, to talk about such a thing because obviously things are just crazy with uh, the economy and so many people being out of work. And I just realize it's not the, the most ideal time to talk about this, but I just think this is how the Lord would have it. This is the time that we're talking about these different vital signs and this is important. And let me just say this, I have been really blessed by the generosity of the people during this pandemic you know people have continued to give to the church people have started giving online more people are mailing in checks and i just want to say thank you you know uh, bless you guys and i praise the lord for you guys and your willingness to give sacrificially in a time like this and i know that that is very pleasing to the lord very pleasing to the lord and so i just want to say thank you for that and so Today I'm going to get into our message. I'm going to share scripture with you. It's going to be very much like it has been the last couple of weeks. And then at the end, I want to get a little more specific. I want to talk about how things are at Calvary Napa, how they have been for the last several years and what we hope to do and see happen in the future. So I hope that this is a, this is a, a very relevant message to you because it, it very much concerns us, this church, your family, this body of believers 
in the direction that we are going. And so this is a, this is a very special topic, and it's important for us, and I'm excited about what God is going to do. And I just want to say this. When I preach, when I teach, I do so for a response. Quite frankly, when I preach, I'm preaching for change. Amen? I want to grow. I want to be better. I want to be different. And so when I look to God's Word, that's my desire, is that I would be changed by it. And when I teach and I preach God's Word to you, that's my desire. I don't want to just play church. Do you all want to play church? Mm -mm, I want to be the church. I want to do what Christ has called me to do. I want to walk in it to the best of my ability and experience God's blessing in it. And that's our desire here. We are in it to win it. All right? And so we are disciples making disciples. And these are six core things that are important to our church that we want to be about. And so today we are looking at forgiven people give. So let me pray for us and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We can't thank you enough for how generous that you have been to us. And God, we want to mirror that generosity. We want to reflect that generosity in our lives, in our church, to the world. And I just ask God as we consider this, this topic today, as we consider this vital sign of Calvary Napa, that you would give us uh, fresh eyes to see these scriptures and that you would give us uh, real clear insight into what this looks like in our lives and in our church and in our community. I pray, God, that you would move in the hearts and the lives of the people in this room, including myself. God, this is something that we all need to hear. And so I ask, God, that your hand of blessing would be upon it today, that you would be glorified, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as I say each week, if you go on the website where all of this will be posted, it says this, Forgiven people give. God demonstrated a generosity beyond our ability to grasp or match in the giving of His Son, Jesus. We who have been forgiven a debt that we could never repay have a responsibility to imitate the generosity of our Lord in many different ways. Simply put, because God gave, we give. God gave sacrificially, generously, joyfully, and lovingly, and we seek to do the same. We want to be generous people, for our God has truly been generous. So we're going to consider a number of points here, and our first point is God displayed the ultimate generosity to meet our greatest need. God displayed the ultimate generosity to meet our greatest need. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave. God gave. God gave out of love. Can I tell you something? Love gives. That's what it does. Love gives. It is an action. And love is the highest motivation for whatever we do. We do a lot of things and we do things for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes our motives are better than other times. But when it comes to obedience, when it comes to service, when it comes to generosity, whatever it is, love is always the highest motivator. And that was why God gave the way that He gave. That's why God was willing to pay such a high price. Because He loved the world. God gave for the good of others. God gave for the good of others. Because He knew that we had a real need. A desperate need. A dire need. And giving is an other-focused discipline. See, oftentimes we can be very self-centered. We're thinking very much about our own needs. But when we are giving to other people and giving to God's church, what that is displaying is that we have an others-focused mentality. We're looking out not only for our own needs and our own good, but for the good of others. Giving is an other-focused discipline. And God gave the best. God did not give scraps. God did not give leftovers. God gave the most precious thing that He had to give. I feel like I say that every single week. And I'm going to keep saying that because it's marvelous. God gave the best. He gave His Son, Jesus, for us. So God truly displayed generosity beyond our ability to ever comprehend. We'll never know. We will never understand just what God gave for us. But we recognize that it is 
glorious, that it is beautiful. It's of infinite worth. Well, point two, Jesus displayed the ultimate generosity to meet our greatest need. Jesus displayed the ultimate generosity. 2 Corinthians verse 8. 2 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 8 verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. That's a great verse. He says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I talked about this last week, and I kind of gave a a rough definition of it, but I wanted to read to you a more um, specific definition here. So the word grace in the Greek, it's charis, and it means inclined, favorable towards, leaning towards to share benefit. Charis is preeminently used of the Lord's favor, freely extended to give Himself away to people because He is always leaning toward them. Remember I talked about that last week? The posture, kind of leaning in. Talked about how Jesus had the posture of a servant. He was leaning in. He looking for an opportunity to give Himself away to serve. Well, that is His grace. And that is also true of generosity. It's a posture. Leaning in. Always ready to give. Always ready to meet a need as soon as the opportunity shows itself. So, we talked last week about having the posture of a servant. I want us to think in that same term. We are talking about having the posture of generosity, of giving. Always looking for an opportunity, always ready to give. If we have the ability to do so, and we recognize the need. And that is because of God's grace. That is because of the grace of our Lord Jesus. Though He was rich, He became poor. Though he was rich, he became poor. Jesus enjoyed equality with God in heavenly glory. That was his rightful place. As the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, he was in heaven in full glory and perfect unity and joy and satisfaction with the Father and the Spirit. But he traded that for us. He was rich and he became poor. He took the form of a servant, elevating us to a place of glory. Jesus became poor. Jesus became a servant. He humbled Himself all the way to the point of the cross so that we could be elevated to a place of glory, so that we could be found, so that we could be known by God, so that we could be children of God, so that one day we could be with God in perfection, in glory. Christ did that for us. Though He was rich, He became poor so that in His poverty, we would become rich in Him. That is amazing, self-sacrificial generosity. And folks, that is the Gospel. That is the beauty. That is the glory of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave Himself for us. That is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was leaning in to serve and to meet our most desperate need. And that... Through salvation in His name, we have been elevated to a place of prominence and glory as sons and daughters of God. And now we have heaven as our home, as our citizenship. God as our Father. We have forgiveness and grace and mercy. There is no more judgment. There is no fear of torment. That is gone. Sins washed away forever. Such is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it came at such a high cost. It came at His life. It cost His life. So Jesus displayed a generosity that uh, is beyond our ability to understand. Well, Point three, we're told that God loves generosity. God loves generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6-7, through it says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we understand this sowing and reaping principle. This is a, this is a fundamental principle in life. You know, you give a little, you're going to get a little. You sow a little seed, you're going to get very little fruit in return. And so he says that, Those who sow sparingly reap sparingly. 
But you know, here the context is in giving to the work of the Lord. Giving to the work of the Lord. And so we want to sow generously so that we can see generous fruit as it pertains to the work of God. If you sow a little, there will be little fruit. And conversely, so. However, each one is to give as he purposes in his heart, Paul says. And so this, this is a very important concept, folks, when it comes to giving. In the church, New Testament church, you give according to what God places upon your heart. You give as, as you have purposed in your own heart to give. It, there's not a, uh, it's not the same across the board. There's a difference between Old Testament tithing and New Testament giving. They are two different things. Now, we'll oftentimes say tithing because it's convenient, it's shorthand, everyone knows what we mean. But people who really want to be serious about Old Testament tithing, that would be actually more about 30% of your income because there were three different tithes that were required of the people in Old Testament times. And so we certainly don't, we don't uh, teach that. Now it's a matter of giving to God from the heart as He puts it upon your heart. And that looks different for every person. And so you just have to know what that is. What has God put upon your heart to give? We are not to give out of compulsion. We are not to give out of compulsion, Paul says. You know, um, when I hear that, I think, you know, multiple passes of the collection plate, right? I've heard stories about people passing a collection plate and then saying, you know what, not enough. Send it again. And, uh, I don't know, I was going to tell a joke. Maybe I shouldn't. Anyways, nah, I will. Years ago, I heard someone telling a story and they were talking about that very thing. And they were saying, I don't know how much money they think I got. Keep passing that plate around, you're going to come up short. And so, you know, like take money out of it. Anyways, whatever. And so, it's not to be by compulsion. Not trying to, you know, twist people's arms or, or pressure people into giving. It's not begging not pleading. It's just trusting that God will move in the hearts of His people to give as they are led to give. And we're not to give grudgingly, Paul says. Not to give grudgingly. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying last week. Remember I talked about murmuring? To do something and then to murmur about it? We're not to do that with our giving, especially. So we don't give grudgingly, like I didn't really want to give that, but I did, and now it's like murmur, murmur. We're not to do that. We're to give from the heart, not out of compulsion, not grudgingly. You know, I heard a, a story years ago about a pastor and his wife that were visiting a church and the collection plate came by and so he reached in his pocket and he pulled out a bill and he put it in the plate and it was a $20 bill. And he panicked because he thought it was a 5 And for a second he wanted to reach back and grab the bill. And his wife was sitting there and... He said, I thought it was just a five. And she said, don't worry, in God's eyes, it was. And that's the reality. You know, a God looks at the heart. And so he only meant to give a five. And so that 20 was only a five in God's eyes. And that's how God sees our worship. That's how God sees what we give. If it's not from the heart, if it's not sincere, then God's not pleased with it. And that is very consistent Throughout all of the Bible, in the Old Testament, there were all kinds of rituals and, and practices set in place. God ordained uh, worship rites, and people were doing them, but their heart was far from God, and so God was not pleased with their offerings. God did not accept their worship because it was all outward. It was not from the heart. And so we're told that God loves a cheerful giver. That's the kind of giver God Loves And so the, the Greek word is hilaros, from which we would get the word hilarious. But the, the word actually means it's describing someone who is cheerfully ready to act because they're already approving. They're already persuaded, won over, already inclined. It's only used here in 2 Corinthians 9-7 where it describes spontaneously non-reluctant giving. This goes back to the, the posture idea. You are ready to give. You desire to give. You desire to be a generous person. So when the opportunity comes up, it's not like, well, I don't know, and you have to kind of work through whether you even really want to or not. No, I'm ready. You have the posture of generosity. That is a cheerful giver. That is what God loves. 
Well, next point, number four, God expects generosity and He rewards us for it. God expects generosity and He rewards us for it. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And so here it, it doesn't say it more, more clearly than that, that we're to give God the first and the best of what is ours. And I think this goes beyond um, giving financially. I'm thinking about giving God, as I often say, the first part of your, your day. And there's so many different things that we have that we can give the Lord the best part of it. Give Him the first part. But we're told here clearly that we are to honor the Lord with the first fruits of our increase. And that our barns will be filled with plenty and our vats will overflow. Obviously, this is kind of foreign language to us in some ways. Uh, but the, the culture there was very agrarian and that was how people did commerce so often. And so people spoke of money in those terms of fruits and uh, overflowing with wine and, and things of that, that sort. So the idea is we're to give to God the first fruits of our income or whatever it may be to really show faith. Thank you, God. I believe that as I give to you that you're going to take care of me. I'm recognizing that, God, you've been so good to me, so I'm giving to you out of worship. That's the idea. Well, in Malachi chapter 3, these are pretty, pretty well-known verses, uh, and they are pretty, pretty intense verses, I will say. So let me read it, and then I'll kind of fill, fill this in a little bit. But Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Verse 10, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. So what's happening here in Malachi's time is that the people have been taken out of Israel. They had been sent to this captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And now they were finally allowed to go back to their land and rebuild. And we know that they went under the leadership of Ezra initially, and then Nehemiah came in. So this is happening around that time frame. So they were allowed to go back and rebuild. But what happened is as soon as the people got back, the neighboring uh, peoples did not like what was happening, so they sought to frustrate their plans. So what did they do? They gave up. They gave up on God's temple. They gave up on sacrifice and they just began to build their own houses and to make their own living uh, more suitable and more comfortable. And they were, even in the sacrificial system, they were giving blind and lame and maimed sacrifices to God. And it talks about that in Malachi chapter 1. And so the people were neglecting God's house, but they were building their own. They were not taking care of God's house and God's people and the service of God. And then they were giving the leftovers to God. And so God called that robbery. God said, you're robbing me when you do that. You're not taking care of my place. You're taking care of your own. And so then He says, test me in this. Try me in this. The only place in the Bible where you see that. We're usually told what? Not to test God. Don't tempt God. But here God says, go ahead, test me in this, try me, give to my house and give to my work and see if I don't bless you. See that I don't pour enough provision on you so that you can't even contain it. And that's the idea. He's giving them provision, provision for their needs. God is saying, you take care of me, I'm going to take care of you. You take care of my house, I'm going to take care of your house. But if you just take care of your house and not my house then you don't have God's blessing and provision there. And that's the principle. So always being mindful towards God's kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Always to take care of God's, God's church, God's people first. And to know that in so doing, God will bless you. You'll be more blessed than if you were to just set your focus solely on taking care of yourself. That's how God's economy works. It's different. It's different in that way. 
But when we give to God first, God blesses in such a way that we'll be more blessed than if we are just trying our best to take care of ourselves. Well, number five, God's people have always been marked by generosity. God's people have always been characterized or marked by generosity. I go all the way back to Exodus chapter 36. God had given them the plans for how they were to start building uh, the tabernacle and the various artifacts that would go into temple service. And so he called upon the people to give to the work. To give so that they could take the, the materials and the possessions and begin to rework it and to build God's temple. And so verse uh, chapter 36, uh, latter part of verse 3, it says, So they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing for the material that they had was sufficient for all the work to be done, indeed too much. And so God invited His people to contribute to His work. I mean, just let that soak in a little bit. It's much like evangelism. We talk about, Pastor Joe mentioned that God doesn't need us, but He uses us. He invites us into the work. He allows us to be a part of that. Same is true when it comes to giving to God's work. He doesn't need us, but He uses us, and He invites us in to contribute to what He is doing. And that is amazing for us to get to be a part of it. Much of my life I have spent tearing down, burning, destroying. But when I came to the Lord, I realized that now I can start giving. I can start building. And that was amazing to me. And so they brought free will offerings here. This was, again, I make the distinction. This wasn't something that was commanded. It was free will. They gave and worshipped the Lord as they were led to do, and they did so generously. They brought more than was needed. They had to be restrained from giving. I mean, can you imagine that? He had to come to them and say, okay, we are overwhelmed. No more. That's amazing to me. That is generosity. That's the generosity of God's people right there. They had been saved out of this Egyptian bondage. They had been delivered. They had been rescued out of that slavery and now their heart's desire was to give to God, to give to His work, to give to the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that According to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So here Paul is extolling the, uh, the generosity of the, the Macedonian churches. And he says, look, they were very good to us. They were very generous. And that was a result of God's grace. That was a result of God's favor in their lives. I keep going back to that. It's because of God's grace, God's favor, God's provision in our lives that we have the ability to be generous. They gave generously. They gave joyfully. They gave sacrificially, Paul said, in the midst of their poverty. In the midst of their own affliction and poverty, they were still giving. And they were doing so generously and joyfully. They gave according to their ability, Paul said, and then even beyond that. They gave according to what they could give, and then they gave even more. And get this, they were, they were uh, urging Paul... They were freely willing and urging Paul to allow them to partner with them, to, to fellowship with them in giving. They were pleading with Paul, we want to partner with you in giving. We want to fellowship with you. And that, brothers and sisters, it's that word fellowship. You hear us use it quite a bit, koinonia. 
It's rendered in many different ways. It's, it's common, it's uh, partnership, it's communion, it's participate. There are so many different ways that it's rendered, but it all carries that same idea that we are collectively one and we are on mission together. We are partnering together in the, the cause of the gospel, in the kingdom. And they were pleading with Paul, let us be a part of this thing. Let us come alongside you. Let us give as well. That was the generosity of God's people. And Paul said it was not only as he hoped, but they sought the Lord and they gave by the will of God. So they didn't just say, okay, Paul, whatever you say. They sought the Lord. They went to God and then they gave by the will of God. And so again, I just want to say that again. You have to know what that is. What is it that the Lord would have you to give? I, I had a, a pastor in my life at one point and... Uh, he had graduated from U-Turn for Christ years ago in Southern California, and he said when he very first started giving to the Lord, he was giving 50 cents a week. That was what he felt he could do, and that was what God had put upon his heart, and that's what he did, and he did it consistently. And, you know, over the years, he gave more and more, and, um, and on it went from there. But he was not ashamed to say that in the beginning, that's what he gave. And I, to that I say, praise the Lord. God moves on your heart to give 50 cents a week, praise Him. You know, I thank you for your willingness, your desire to partner with us in the work of the gospel and to give to God and to His church. That is between you and the Lord. Just so long as that you are giving, just so long as you are partnering with us in the work of the Lord, just so long as you are giving to what God is doing. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44 it says that now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. This is astounding. In the early church, when the church was born, God was moving in an amazing way and the church exploded. People recognized that there were many needs in the church and they were willing to sell their own stuff to be able to meet the needs of other people and just give it to the church so that it could be dispersed. This, again, is that posture of giving. They were ready. They were looking. You know what? Let me sell my stuff and give it to the church. That is amazing. They sold their possessions for the needs of the body. As I was thinking about this, I think one very simple and practical application of that is uh, our garages. What do they look like? Are they full of junk? You know, is, is that something that you could sell and give to a missionary? You know, could you, could you sell all that stuff that is just crammed into the attic or the, the garage and give that money to someone who is working to advance the gospel in other countries? That's just one very practical way. We who have excess here, we have more than we need to give some of that back to the work of God. Point six. We want to give to God generously in our worship. We want to give to God generously in our worship. Uh, Jesus was invited to dine with a Pharisee. And so this is the story that we're looking at here in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house. And he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman was in the city who was a sinner. And when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. And so Jesus is here at this, this Pharisee's house, Simon, He's a self-righteous, religious man trusting in himself for righteousness' sake. And uh, it's, it's kind of strange to us how this would work, but I, I've heard it said that oftentimes these kinds of dinners were open to the public. And there would actually be spectators there that would be in. They're not a part of what's happening, but they're watching from a distance. And so this lady comes in with a bad reputation and into the midst of the gathering, she comes up behind Jesus, standing at His feet, weeping, and begins to wash His feet with her hair. Now, remember, as I said, oftentimes when they would be dining, 
they would be laying on the ground and there would be a table that sat low to the floor and they would be propped up on their left arm and their feet would be out behind them and so that's how she would be standing behind him at his feet and then she knelt down there and began to wash his feet with her tears and she broke an alabaster flask of oil which was probably about a year's wage and you know these things would oftentimes be a family heirloom this was something that would be passed down from generation to generation once it's broken it's gone forever and this woman she broke this this uh, flask of oil and anointed Jesus' feet with it and washed his feet with her hair now, this is amazing we talk about what Jesus did for the disciples when he washed their feet with a, a towel and just the conditions uh, in that day and, the, and traveling and the roads and the sandals and the heat and the animals and all of that kind of stuff. But she washed his feet with her hair. I mean, that is, that is an astounding, desperate humility and love that she would do that that was costly worship, folks. That's what that is. Costly worship. And so when we give to the Lord, I hope we recognize that it is worship. Do you see what you give to the Lord as worship? I hope that when you give, when you put money in the box back there, that you pray and that you thank God for what He's given you and that you would ask that He would receive what you're giving back to Him and that He would be pleased with it, that it would be worship unto Him, and that He would take and bless that for His kingdom, for the work, for His work. Recognizing that when we give, it is worship, folks. It's worship. And we want to give costly worship. Well, Simon saw what was going on there, and he said, look, if Jesus was really a prophet, He would know what kind of woman this was, and He wouldn't be letting her touch His feet. And so Jesus tells this story about... Two different debts. Two different people had two different debts. One was great, one was small. Both were forgiven. And Jesus says, which one do you think loved more? And Simon said, the one who was forgiven the greater debt. And Jesus said, exactly. You, you answered correctly. And then he begins to show how from the point that Jesus came into his house, this man showed absolutely no hospitality to Jesus whatsoever. But this woman had not stopped blessing Jesus from the point that she came in. And so he said, there you have it, case in point. She was forgiven much, she loved much, she worshipped much, and she gave much. Mark chapter 12, we have another story. Jesus is sitting at the temple, and he's watching people come in and give to, uh, give to the temple there. So verse 41, it says, Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury, and he saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put more than all of those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. So Jesus was taking note of how people were giving there at the temple. He was watching. He was observing. He was interested by this. And uh, MacArthur says that the treasury here refers to 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles on the walls in the court of the women where offerings and donations to the temple were placed. So 13 trumpet-like receptacles where people could throw their money down in there. And I've heard it said that people would go out of their way to make a big show out of this that they would break their giving down to the smallest amount of change so that they would have a lot of change and they would throw it all in the trumpets and then people would hear it and say, oh man, look at how much that person's giving. And I, I suspect that maybe in some ways when Jesus said, don't blow a trumpet when you uh, do acts of kindness for other people, that he could perhaps be even pointing to this very thing. These are people who are blowing a trumpet, if you will, so that all would see their generosity. Well, Jesus was observing all of this, but then he saw a woman who came in and gave two mites. Now, a mite would be about an eighth of a cent, and that's what she gave. And Jesus jumped up and said, did you see that? Did you see what that woman just did? She gave more than everybody in here collectively because she gave out of her poverty. So God looks at the cost of what we give more than the amount. 
God looks at the cost more than the amount. It's not how much we gave, but how much it cost us. 2 Samuel chapter 24, David was going to purchase some land and he was going to sacrifice to the Lord there on that land. And the guy who owned the land just wanted to give it to him. He said, here, just take it. It's for the Lord. You can sacrifice on this land for free. So David in chapter 24, uh, 24 verse 24 said, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Uh, David said, I'm not going to give to God something that didn't cost me anything. David insisted on his giving being costly. I love that. That is amazing to me. Again, that is the generosity of God's people. He wasn't going to give God the leftovers. He wasn't going to give God something that, that was of no cost to him personally. Verse, uh, excuse me, number seven. God will supply our needs so we can be generous. God will supply our needs so that we can be generous. Second Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. So God will make grace abound toward us, causing us to have sufficient means to give. And there it is again. He is able to make all grace abound towards us. I just I keep pointing that out, folks. That's what it is. It's God's grace in our lives that causes us to be generous and to have the means to do so. I've said this several times. I'm sure you'll hear me say it again. If God can get it through us, He'll get it to us. If, can, if God can get it through you, He can get it to you. Sometimes the problem is, is it, it won't go past us. God will get it to us and it is not going to go any farther than that. But God knows that if you are a person who has open hands, it just comes through and you're giving it out as fast as you get it, God will supply. God will give you the means so that you'll have an abundance to give towards God's work. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18 says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in Christ, in glory by Christ Jesus. So Paul's in prison at this point. The Philippians found that out and they sent him a care package all the way to Rome. There he was in prison and they gave him this gift. And Paul noted that what they gave to him was well-pleasing to the Lord. It was like a sweet-smelling aroma rising to the heavens. I don't know how often we really stop and think about that, that idea. You know, when you smell barbecue or something that you really love and you just you savor that, you take it in, right? You know, have you ever cut an onion before? You know what that's like? You know what that does to you? What that does to your eyes and the pain? That's probably what my life was like to God. It was not a sweet-smelling aroma. It was like onions rising to the heavens and causing tears, right? But now, as we give to the Lord, it's a sweet-smelling aroma. God loves it. God is pleased with that. And then Paul assured them that God was going to supply their needs. And that is faith. That is an act of faith. God is going to supply my need if I give. I can give and know it's not my wants, it's my needs. And God knows what your needs are. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you will have your needs, so that you can be generous. Alright, well, number eight, I want to talk a little bit about the ways that we give generously to the work of the Lord. This is not an exhaustive list by any means. And God moves in our hearts in a variety of ways uh, in our lives to give. Uh, but this, these are just five things here that I wanted to really emphasize that we want to be about here in this church. So now I'm going to start getting a little more practical and I'm going to start talking a little more specifically about Calvary Napa, how giving has been, the things that we want to give towards, so on and so forth. So first off, supporting missions. Supporting missions. That is part of the Great Commission. And so 
That is something that every church is to be about. We want to see gospel work happening all around the world, locally and all around the world. So we like to support people from our church. We have sent people out and we support them. And, you know, it's, it's really at my heart for us to be supporting indigenous pastors in other places, other countries where, where it's dangerous and where there's not a lot of gospel happening, where there aren't a lot of Christians and where churches can be planted. Gospel preaching churches can be planted there and there can be a light in that place. And so these are the kinds of things that we want to do. We want to support missions and we want to support them generously and we want to be part of the Great Commission happening all around the world. Amen? That's the kind of thing that we should be so excited about that we can contribute to something like that. People, brothers and sisters working in very hard-hit, dangerous places around the world that are not reached where people haven't even heard the name of Jesus. Not once. And we can support missionaries in places like that where the gospel is going forth. Supporting pastors. You know, supporting pastors is a very important part of what the local churches do. First and foremost, the Bible says that we should support pastors. And please, guys, you know, this is awkward for me to even talk like this, but it just is the way that it is. I'm the pastor and I'm, I'm teaching the, the Bible and I have to say these things. But building up the church and training pastors. You know, the more people that we're able to support, the more they're able to give to this church and the more they're able to build. And so we would love to be able to support a youth pastor, to support ministry, uh, ch our children's ministry director. We would love to be able to support people so that they can give themselves to the work of the Lord in this church. I know that we all want to see certain things happen in this church. We all have expectations and desires to see Calvary Napa do certain things, but that, that takes investing into this church so that we have the means and the ability to do that. And as far as pastors go, it's, it's my heart to raise up young pastors, new pastors. I always got an eye on people that God is raising up. And I want to be able to bring them in and have them step into the church and be trained. That is where pastors are made, folks, in the church. Seminary is great, and it is a great benefit and a blessing to the church. But seminaries don't make pastors, churches make pastors. I can speak from my own experience. It wasn't until I became a pastor and came on staff that I began to really understand so much of what pastoral ministry was about that I had no clue. That was where it really began for me. And so we want to be a church where pastors are being trained, equipped, and then sent out. And other churches are being planted. And so we, we want to be able to support young pastors so that we can bring them in, train them up, raise them up, send them out, right? And, you know, I've heard one pastor say this, that he is convinced that God in his genius knows that when you give money and then that money goes towards a bill and then, you know, the, the building is lit at a particular point in time when some kind of ministry is happening here, God is able to see all of that and put that to your heavenly account, as it were. And I, I believe that. That's a, that's a pretty awesome thing. And so when you give to the work of the Lord here and pastors are trained and sent out and ministry is happening in different places, that goes to your account. That goes back to you. You are partnering with us in that. That fruit belongs to you. And so we want to be a missions-minded church. We want to be a church that supports and trains pastors and raises pastors and ministry leaders up here. We want to support benevolence. We want to be able to meet needs in our community. We want to help with practical needs that happen all the time and in this church. So we do that. You know, it, it takes discernment and prayer to understand uh, when we should give to the needs of people in the community that come to us. But we also want to give to the people in our church. You know, when, when our people come forward and they have needs, they have real needs, expensive needs. And I want us to always be ready, willing, and able to help. That's what it's all about. In years past, the church has had my back when I needed it the most. When I had nobody else, the church had my back. And so that's my desire for you. Just know that. This is your church, and you fall on hard times, and something really happens, we got your back. We're going to take care of you. And we want to be generous like that. 
supporting parachurch ministries, ministries that kind of come alongside the church, namely the bridge in particular. And so I've been talking to you a lot about the bridge, and God has been blessing it tremendously. Guys have been coming in. Guys have been putting their faith in Christ. We had a baptism service. Got to see some brothers be baptized. I've been watching and seeing how the Holy Spirit is moving in these guys' hearts and lives. The healing that is taking place. The, the uh, witness that it is to their family. Some of the things I'm hearing their families say. This is amazing, folks. It's happening. People are coming to Christ. Lives are being restored, saved, changed. A ripple effect is going out. And this is because of the generosity of our people that are giving to such a need. Such a need as that. And then lastly, I would say supporting practical church needs. Supporting practical church needs. Obviously, to meet in a place like this, there are bills. There is rent. There is overhead. There is power and everything else that goes into it. There are building needs. And there are various areas around here still that, that you know, are struggling um, quite a bit that need to be fixed up. So I'm going I'm to talk more about that here in a minute. So I'm trying to move quickly here, folks. I'm trying to get us out of here. So we're on the last, last point of the thing of the the message and I want to get real specific now about you know kind of how things have been and and what we hope to see happen as we move forward you with me we still together here everybody awake you ain't mad at me okay all right let me just say this if we don't lead well in this area we cannot expect help that's something that I've come to realize pastor Dan and I talk about that quite a bit if we don't lead in any particular area we can't expect it to be a strong healthy area and so we're going to lead we want to lead in this this is not begging this is not pleading this is not guilting this is leading leading God's church so I'm just going to talk straight to you straight to you about these things we are forever grateful and God is pleased with the generosity of the people here at this church Uh, I said it in the beginning I'll say it again. That is just the truth of the matter. And people have been very generous to this church for years and continue to do so. And do so even in the midst of this pandemic when so many people are suffering and sacrificing, still people are giving. But overall, over the years, giving has not been great. Giving has gone down, um, generally speaking. And, you know, I don't know who gives. None of the pastors do. I don't want to know who gives. It's not my business to know who gives. But I am aware of the giving to a degree, and it's important for me to know that. And I can say that from, as I have gathered it, it's just been a faithful core of people who have kept the church afloat over the years, who, who have a strong conviction about giving, and they've been faithful to the work of the Lord here. And so here we are because of that. And I praise God for those people. And so, um, you know, there's a a number of reasons why this could be, you know. And, you know, I don't know if it's because people just don't believe in what what we're doing here. Over the years, people just haven't really bought in to what God is doing here. That's possible. And so, you know, that's why we really want to put it out there for you guys what we're about and what we want to do and that you can know, believe me, that's the weight that we carry as pastors. God's, that's the Lord's money. It's the generosity, the sacrificial generosity of His people that is coming in here and supporting us and allowing other ministry to happen. And we take that very seriously. And so we we want you guys to understand and believe in what is happening here. It's very important to us. And so we're trying to lead well in that way. People may assume that it's already being taken care of. I think that's a very common thing. I've given this illustration before. American Idol years ago, uh, they had this thing where the best people, the top people were being voted off. And they couldn't figure out why this was. And then they finally realized it's because everyone assumed that the best of the best weren't going anywhere and there were other people on the periphery that they weren't quite ready to see go, so everyone was voting for them, and the best people were being voted off because everyone assumed that they were going to be okay. And I think that can happen in the church. We assume, hey, the lights are on, and it's happening, and you know things are happening here and there, so we, we must be okay, not realizing that it's, it's really a struggle, really a struggle. 
people may assume that um, what they have wouldn't really help. And, and that's, that's just erroneous. That's, that's not true. Uh, whatever God puts on your heart to give is always help. God blesses that, you know. When they came with the, the um, what was it, the five loaves and a couple of fish, and uh, what did Jesus do with that? He multiplied that, and he met the needs of thousands of people. And so it's a faith thing. Whatever God puts on your heart to give, it helps. It really makes a difference. People may assume that we're doing better than we really are, you know, because we don't talk about this stuff. And I'll just be straight with you. We don't talk about it. Rarely do we talk about it. And so I'll just say, for instance, the facilities. We have some money that, that we have had in a savings account for years that we've been sitting on. It's not something that we can live off of. It would be dried up in no time. But the building has had tremendous needs. And so we've decided to invest some into it because when people come here, when people visit, we don't want it to look desolate in here. You know, you pull up to the parking lot and the church looks desolate. You know, they're going to think that congregation's desolate on the inside, you know. And we want you guys to have a beautiful place to come and to worship. So we have taken some money to invest into this building. But honestly, we're as far as we can go with that. And there are other things. You know, we really want to build up our youth ministry. We would love to be able to make our youth room a beautiful place that kids would be excited to come and, and hang out in and be ministered to in. We would love to be able to support a youth pastor so that he can build that. I mean, Pastor Dalton, man, he has sacrificially served for years. He works a full-time job, and he is blessed to do it. But, you know, we would love to be able to help that brother out. You know, uh, our children's ministry director, Michaela, she works so hard. They didn't put me up to this, and this is probably embarrassing them, but I'm the pastor. I can do this. And, uh, you know, we want to bless these people. They, they give so much for the work of the Lord here. We want to take care of them. Amen? And so there, I could go on and on. There are needs in the children's ministry uh, area, facility-wise, and the youth ministry, and staff things, so on and so forth. And so we've invested into some of these things, but that, don't let that, don't let that you know, fool you. Um, there are still needs galore. And so people may think it's not an important issue, or not even necessary, but hopefully I've shown otherwise, just through the Scriptures in and of themselves, uh, so on and so forth. But I will say this, um, it, possibly we just haven't led well in this area. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. It's possible that just out of sight, out of mind, we don't talk about it. When we do, we apologize for it. And uh, that, that's just not good. You know, that's not godly. That's not biblical. And so we want to start leading well in this area. And so we're going to make giving a more prominent part of, of what we do here. You know, forgiven people give. We are God's people. We are generous people. We serve a generous God. And so I want us to start praying on our worship services weekly, thanking God for what He has provided for His church this day, for the generosity of His people. It's going to become a, a little bit more of a prominent part of our worship service. That is worship to God from His people. And we want to thank God for moving in the hearts of His people to give to His work. And so we'll be doing things like that. You know, at some point we're going to start doing bulletins, weekly bulletins that would have already been happening, but we can't really do that as it is given the, the situation that we're in. But uh, even on that, I would like to put in there what are the needs what, and what is the weekly giving. You know, it's your church, folks. It's your church. It's ours, and so we all have a part to play, and you should know the needs, and you should know what's coming in. And this is not a, a coercion thing or a guilt thing. You just ought to know, don't you think? Wouldn't you like to know? And so we want to help you like that. We want us all to really know what's going on in the church. And so there is much that we desire to do and should do, but that depends on the people. That depends on us all collectively. As I said, this is our church. There are real needs still in this church. We are on mission together as God's church here. Every part has to do its part. Every part has to do its part. As I said, I'm preaching for change here, folks. I'm really expecting that next week, giving is going to go up. In fact, today, giving is going to go up. 
because I believe that God is moving in the hearts of His people to be generous to the work of God's kingdom here in Napa, in this church. And so at Calvary Napa, we believe that forgiven people give. We have been forgiven a debt that we cannot pay. We could not pay that debt. For that, we love the Lord with all that we have and all that we are. We desire to demonstrate that by modeling His generosity and obeying His words. Acts 20, verse 35, it says, Remember the words of our Lord Jesus. He said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And we really believe that. Don't you believe that? Let us be a people that are marked by that. Let us be a people that really looks and acts like we believe that. Let's pray. Father, we love You. And we praise You for Your generosity towards us in each and every one of our lives individually. Thank You for Your generosity towards this church. Thank You for moving in the hearts of Your people to give. I thank You for the season, Lord, to come. I know that You're going to do some awesome things in our church. There's going to be great fruit. And we praise You for it. And so help us, Lord, to, to obey. Help us, Lord, to, to participate, Lord, in this. Help us, God, to, to bless others and to have this posture of generosity that our Lord has had towards us and that the church has been characterized by throughout the, the centuries, Lord. May that be true of us today. Lord, we want to be on mission here. We're disciples making disciples. We've been called and we are following You, Jesus. We have been saved and we want to serve. We have been forgiven, Lord, a great debt and we want to give, Lord. We want to be generous. So help us to do that, Father. Would You, God, give us the, the means, Lord, to be able to give so generously to Your work and the faith to do it, God. In Jesus' name, Amen.